Greeny with Mike Greenberg, the podcast. Back and better than ever, Greeny presented by Progressive Insurance. Guests on the Shell Pennzoil performance line, they will include Dr. Michael Kaplan in about 15 minutes with insight into what we can expect from Dak Prescott and his return from a devastating injury. We'll also go live to our Cowboys reporter for the very latest on that. Dak Prescott, obviously, in the center of an enormous amount of news. LeBron James and the Lakers win their NBA championship last night. The 17th in Laker history, the 4th for LeBron James. What does all of that mean? We will get to all of that in just a moment. But I hate to be the bearer of bad news. Maybe you're just about to hear this for the first time, but a true legend of sports has died, and that is Joe Morgan, who is, if you're wondering to yourself, well, just exactly how good a player was Joe Morgan? The answer is just about as good as anybody that ever lived. Joe Morgan, one of the truly great players in baseball history, is dead at the age of 77. And again, if you are hearing this for the first time, my my condolences on being the bearer of bad news. If you're my age, Joe Morgan is a legend, a legend. Um, and not because he was the voice of Sunday Night Baseball with John Miller for so long on ESPN, which he was and did so well. But Joe Morgan in my youth was a, a baseball icon. He was a larger-than-life figure, although he was smaller than almost any other player in baseball. He is, in fact, the best little man in baseball history, and I mean that in the best possible way. Uh, Hembo, our researcher, Paul Hembikita, sent me a whole bunch of stats here that I'm going to read you in just a moment. But my personal recollection of Joe Morgan is that at a time, and I don't know that we live in this time anymore, But there was a time when everyone who was a sports fan could identify most of the best players in baseball by their batting stance or by their swing. The image of Joe Morgan pumping that back elbow when he was hitting as a left-handed hitter, he was standing, he would pump that elbow, pump. If you know what I'm talking about, you know what I'm talking about. And if you don't know what I'm talking about, I I don't know how to explain it to you. You're just going to have to find it. But he was the only player I ever saw who kind of crank himself up back elbow and to my dying day if I'm lucky enough to live to be 120 years old if you do that behind me if, if, if you like mimic a batting stance and you and you pump that elbow I will immediately say that was Joe Morgan second baseman of the big red machine who played actually more years in Houston than he did in Cincinnati but will to me always be remembered as a, a member of the Cincinnati Reds and the big red machine he's the only player to win back-to-back MVPs on back-to-back World Series champions. That's who Joe Morgan was. On teams that had so many great players like Pete Rose and Johnny Bench and George Foster and Tony Perez, and it goes on and on, Concepcion and Geronimo. I'll remember those teams to my dying day. But Morgan was the MVP of the league both of those years. He has the best war ever, wins above replacement by any player 5'9 or shorter. That's what I meant when I said he's the best little man ever. He's the only second baseman to win multiple MVPs since they began that award in 1931. He was the first player in baseball with 200 home runs and 500 stolen bases. He was the second second baseman elected to the Hall of Fame on the first ballot. The first was Jackie Robinson. Johnny Bench said, quote, Joe Morgan was the best player I've ever seen or played with ever. Sparky Anderson, the manager of those legendary teams, said, I've never seen anyone, and I mean anyone, play better than Joe has played this year in 1975. Joe Morgan in 1975 had one of the great seasons 
in baseball history, and they won the series that year. And then beating the Red Sox, that was the legendary Carlton Fisk home run year. And then they beat the Yankees the following year. So Joe Morgan is gone at the age of 77, continuing what has been a brutal, brutal month for those of us who care about baseball history. In just the last few weeks, we've lost Lou Brock, we've lost Tom Seaver, and we've lost Bob Gibson, and now we lose Joe Morgan. So sad news, and certainly our condolences to his family, to his friends, to his many former teammates, and to his fans all across the world, the great Joe Morgan is dead at the age of 77. I am Greeny. I'm presented by Progressive Insurance with insurance for cars, homes, boats, motorcycles, RVs, and commercial vehicles at 1-800-PROGRESSIVE and progressive.com. So I'm doing the show from my home today. I came home uh, after doing Get Up, and I walked in the door of my house, and my son Stephen, who was 17 years old, is home today because it's Columbus Day, so he's not in school. And I had not seen him when I left the house this morning because it was 4.30 in the morning when I left the house. And I said to him, Stevie, how are we doing? And he said, and I quote, how could I not be doing great, Dad? It was cemented last night that LeBron James is the greatest player ever. Now, he says that for dramatic effect. He says that mostly to get under his mother's skin. Uh, as you probably know, I met and married a Chicago girl, and no one loves anyone the way she loves Michael Jordan. So the idea that there ever has been, ever will be, or ever could be a greater player than Michael Jordan is something that my wife will most certainly never accept. The rest of us are open-minded to it. Stevie is a member of a generation who did not watch Michael Jordan play. He liked the last dance, but at no point during last dance, in fa- and again, I think he does this for effect, but he kept saying, to both his mother and me, as we were watching Last Dance together, that he loved the show and he loved watching and learning about Michael Jordan, but that LeBron James is clearly the greatest player ever. And that really is one of the places that this conversation goes today. As LeBron James continues to round out a resume that even now, and certainly projects in the future, to be, if not the greatest resume in basketball history, then awfully close. If you're looking at the greatest resumes in basketball history, Michael Jordan doesn't actually have that. The greatest resumes in basketball history, I think, belong to Bill Russell, who won 11 championships, and Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, who did all the different things he did, up to and including all the titles and all the MVPs, and he's the all-time leading scorer in history, and he's, by the way, the greatest college player and the greatest high school player that ever lived. Michael Jordan is merely the best player (laughs) that ever lived. That's a different discussion. As far as having the best resume in basketball history, LeBron James now the only player to win finals MVP for three different franchises. Now, that obviously is not something that would have happened in previous generations or not nearly as easily. Russell, of course, played his entire career as a Celtic, played and was also the player coach at the end, but was always a Celtic. This was at a time when players generally didn't move around hardly at all, certainly nowhere near the degree to which they do now. Kareem Abdul-Jabbar won a championship in Milwaukee as a member of the Bucks, then went to Los Angeles and, of course, became even more legendary, but became one of the great legends in, in the history of American sports as a Laker. So he did win with two different teams. 
LeBron James, at the age of 35, is now a four-time champion. He's been to 10 finals. He's led three different franchises to titles. There are interesting circumstances with all of them. The Miami ones actually, with all due respect, feel the least meaningful now because of the way he teamed up with those guys. There's overwhelming meaning to them in terms of that started a trend that I think will now never end in basketball of stars making a decision to come together the way they did with he and Wade and Bosch. But as far as the value of the championships, what he did in Cleveland, bringing that city what is still its only championship in more than half a century and doing it against a 73-win Warriors team goes at the top. And then resurrecting the Lakers and factoring in the circumstances of this year, I think this becomes the second most meaningful of LeBron's championships when you start putting them into historical perspective. So this is very much a day about LeBron, and it is very much a day about the Lakers. And in the big picture, it is very much a day about the National Basketball Association. And I don't want to go any farther without saying the words congratulations to Adam Silver, and everybody at the NBA, Michelle Roberts and everybody at the NBA PA, all of those players and all of those people who worked so hard and sacrificed so much to put together this extraordinary season that they did in the bubble. I have noticed a lot of people trying or enjoying picking apart things they haven't liked about it. I myself am going to focus on the enormity of the accomplishment. For the NBA in the middle of a pandemic to put on what it did at great sacrifice and at great expense I think is extraordinary and one of the greatest achievements in the history of that league. And I say the same of the NHL, the WNBA, Major League Soccer, and all the other sports who've done what they've done to put together entertainment for the rest of us. I have enjoyed the hell out of it. And I am very grateful that they did it. So first and foremost, congratulations to the NBA. Second, congratulations to the Lakers, the preeminent organization in American basketball, in global basketball, Has done it again. 17 titles, now equal to the Celtics on the all-time list of most championships. And I think the Celtics are really good, and they figure to be in the hunt for the next several years. But the Lakers of LeBron James and Anthony Davis are the favorites to win the NBA championship, not just in Vegas, but in the minds of anybody paying attention at minimum the next two years. And it may be more. You know, Tim Legler said it really well on uh, TV with us this morning on Get Up when he said, it's not about whether LeBron and AD are the greatest NBA duo of all time, but they are the most, what was the word that he used? I'm sorry, just jumped out of my head. They are are the most um, adaptable, uh, um, the most versatile, excuse me, thank you. I, I, I was up very late last night. They are the most versatile duo of all time. Just the different things they can both do on the floor. And of course, the game has changed to where Anthony Davis is an entirely different kind of big than Shaq was. And LeBron James is a very different kind of player than Kobe was. Kobe and Shaq might be a greater duo historically. You can have that argument if you want to, and maybe we will sometime. But the versatility of what these two guys can both do is what he was talking about, and I agree with it. And LeBron at 35 has shown no signs, absolutely no signs of slowing down. So until I see some signs of him slowing down, I'm going to pick the Lakers to win it again. That means next year and the year after and the year after. As long as those two guys are together and LeBron James doesn't show any signs of slowing, in my opinion, the Lakers are the team to beat. 
So as I said to you last week, I think what we saw last night was the beginning of a mini dynasty. I call it mini because I just don't know how many years LeBron James has left at the pinnacle. He's 35. Does he have two more? He said he thinks he has a bunch more. The great ones always think that. I wouldn't expect him to think anything else. We can all watch it from the outside, though, and judge it differently. He does have a guy he can ride. Like, right now, the two of them are 1A and 1B. I don't agree with the idea that they are equivalently important to each other. LeBron is 1A and Anthony Davis is 1B. But that could flip. Next year, maybe Anthony Davis is 1A and LeBron is 1B. And maybe eventually Anthony Davis becomes a horse that LeBron can ride to more championships at the end of his career. All of those things and many more are on the table. We're going to talk at great length about them. And so the Lakers winning was unquestionably one of the two overwhelming stories of the sports day yesterday. The other, of course, was the very difficult and painful to watch injury to Dak Prescott who I would say over the last 12 to 18 months has been the player in the NFL who has been the subject of the most discussion because he plays on the highest profile team because of the unique circumstances of his contract, a starting quarterback, particularly of his caliber to be playing the season as he is on the uh, franchise tag is practically unprecedented. And now all of a sudden, after all of that discussion and the betting on himself and how good are the Cowboys and the division is this and everything else that we've talked about, there he is sitting on the ground with his foot facing in the wrong direction and tears in his eyes. And that was tough to watch. So let's get into what it all means. Todd Archer is our ESPN NFL Nation Cowboys reporter, and he joins me here on the Shell Penzoil Performance Line. Todd, thank you very much for doing this. Let's start with the most important stuff. What can you tell us about the surgery that he had last night and the prognosis for him going forward and his chances of getting back and being the the quarterback of the Cowboys and the quarterback we've been accustomed to seeing for these first years of his career? Yeah, Greeny, the Cowboys made a uh, release a statement this morning saying the surgery is successful and they expect Dak to go home uh, later on today, which is certainly a positive news. Uh, the surgery was to clean out potential infections with the exposed bone from the compound fracture and repair the fracture. And if we can go back to 2018, uh, the playoffs in the wild card round, former receiver Alan Hearns suffered a similar injury to Dak, almost in a, a, the same location at AT&T Stadium. And he had the same surgery, and he was back with the Cowboys uh, by that spring, running routes, doing everything. So the expectation is after four to six months, the Cowboys believe, from what I'm told, that Dak will be fine and ready to go. The big question, as we all know, Greeny, is the contract and where things stand with him being th- this team's quarterback in 2021 because he's set to be an unrestricted free agent after the season if the Cowboys don't put the franchise tag on him. That is correct. So you're 100% right. And I will get Dr. Michael Kaplan in here in a minute to talk further about the medical piece of this. But Todd, what can you, I'm I'm not going to ask you to guess, but what do you see as the likeliest of the scenarios as we spin forward here to what awaits Dak and Jerry Jones and the Cowboys relative to that over the next six months or so? Yeah, I've been asking around this morning about what they could possibly do, and, and the freshness of it really makes you understand that there, there's no hard and true answer that you can give right now because you can play out all these scenarios. And, and certainly I think the Cowboys were preparing 
to put the franchise tag on him again uh, after this season, $37.7 million. They had cleared room by restructuring the contracts of a number of players, including Tyron Smith and, and Zach Martin and Demarcus Lawrence, to create more room because the cap, as we know, is going to come down next season due to the coronavirus pandemic. So they were preparing for that tag. So that tag still remains as an option. And and signing him to a long-term deal still remains an option. It is interesting to note, though, that had Dak Prescott signed the long-term offer that the Cowboys put on the table last summer or or this summer, he would have received a $50 million signing bonus and would have been guaranteed $111 million uh, because he was hurt while he was playing. Uh, the, where where will these numbers now come up going forward on a contract extension? Will they be approaching the same? Will they be structured in a way where he has to earn more of it through incentives and playing time and, and, and things like that? It, it, I, I don't believe he will be anywhere but the Dallas Cowboys in 2021. It's just a matter of what's going to happen between 2022 and beyond. That's Todd Archer. Thank you so much. Let's do this again tomorrow on both TV and radio as, as we get more answers, as you get more answers for us coming out of the Cowboy locker room and facility. Todd Archer, thank you very much. Next, I want to bring in Dr. Michael Kaplan, who is on the Shell Penzoil performance line because there are so many medical questions here. So, Dr. Kaplan, good to talk to you again. And the, the, I think that many of us who don't know anything about medicine, we have this inclination to think that the more gruesome the injury appears, the more serious it is. That obviously isn't the case. How would you characterize the seriousness of this injury to Dak Prescott as it relates to his ability to make a full recovery and play at his best again? I think that's an excellent question, Greeny. Obviously, it is a hard thing to watch. He had a fracture dislocation that was open, mean compound, it broke through the skin. And while he had the deformity, which interestingly he tried to reduce himself, if you saw him sort of knock his foot back on on the turf. But this can be fixed in a relatively straightforward way. You you wash out the wound, you use some plates and screws to repair the fracture, and he'll be non-weight-bearing for six to eight weeks. But I would anticipate a full recovery. And by springtime, he should be doing some cutting and sprints and I don't think, unless there's something complicated later, that this will in any way uh, impair his long-term prognosis to play well. Does it make him any more susceptible to injury to that part of his leg in the future? Um, I guess some. It, the question is, if he makes a full recovery and he's able to get his muscle strength and his uh, awareness, what we call proprioception, back, there's no reason he should injure this again. Every time you injure the same area, it has a a higher propensity for scar and a more lingering effect. But in and of itself, I don't think he's at necessarily the risk that we see with Alex Smith or some of these other guys with more profound injury. So assuming it was a relatively simple fracture pattern, I think he has a very, very good prognosis for a full and complete recovery. One more for you, Dr. Kaplan. Um, we, We talk about the timetable here. Who knows where in the world the world is going to be next year. But generally speaking, pro football players get back on the field and start doing football-related things at some point in the middle of the spring after the, they have their mini camps and things like that. Would you expect him to be ready for that? Yes. Again, barring any problem or perioperative issue, and you always worry with an open injury, there is potential for infection. But this was likely a small wound. Uh, It wasn't dirty. So in all probability, he should be back in the spring 
and be able to do most of what he needs to, and certainly by the summer. And I would anticipate, barring any problems, a full recovery for next year. Okay. Dr. Michael Kaplan, that's great insight. Thank you very much. It's nice to talk to you again. Greeny with you, you presented by Progressive Insurance. Thank you. It's, you know, what can you say? These were two, I was just having this conversation with someone else um, sort of offline here. We had two, to use a a typical term that we would use in television, we had two wall-to-wall stories yesterday. Dak Prescott, the injury to Dak Prescott is the kind of story you go wall-to-wall. I would do two full hours on that on TV in the morning. And then, of course, the Lakers and LeBron James win the NBA championship on the same day. It's hard to recall a time when we had more going on in sports. I'll get Dan Orlovsky in live next in a moment. His thoughts on Dak and around the rest of the NFL from yesterday. Greeny, the podcast. Shopping for Mother's Day is usually a challenge because you wait until the last minute. But Macy's Gift Finder makes it incredibly fast and easy to find the right gift just in time for Mother's Day. Whether you're shopping for your sister's first Mother's Day or your fashionista mom who loves to make a statement, Macy's Gift Finder has so many great gift ideas that you can easily pick out something special to celebrate them both. You can shop by price, anywhere from 25 bucks and under to 100 bucks and under. You can also sort by category like fragrance, handbags, and more, or gift lists like For the mom who has everything, pre-wrapped gifts or gifts for grandma. Find top brands like Studio Pro Model Beats headphones, Polaroid cameras, and Samsung smart TVs. So what are you waiting for? Mother's Day is May 12th. It'll be here before you know it. Macy's has the perfect gift guide to make picking something for mom easy this year. Head to Macy's.com slash gift finder today. That's Macy's.com slash gift finder. For the ones who get it done, Granger offers high-quality supplies and solutions for every industry, as well as access to product specialists who have the knowledge and experience to answer your toughest questions. Plus, their commitment to being your safety partner can help you keep your facility safe and your people safer. Call clickgranger.com or just stop by. So many people are going to be talking about the injury to Dak Prescott. The end of a long run. His foot going directions not supposed to go. Dak Prescott left the field in tears. A brutal day this was in the NFL yesterday for all the really good football action that we saw. That moment with Dak Prescott on the ground with his foot facing in the wrong direction and tears in his eyes is the one that you're going to remember throughout the rest of the year. And my friend Dan Orlovsky was among many who were really emotional watching it. And I could feel that today, Dan, as you were with me on Get Up this morning, and I could feel it in the studio. All these hours later, I could feel that that really sort of seemed to reverberate somewhere deep inside of you as a player. I'd love, now that we have the moment to do it, I'd love you to put words into why that is. Why did that, why did that, that, that get you in the way that it did yesterday? Yeah, Green, I think, first of all, it starts with, like, you know, I'm an ex-player, right? And I I know the journey of all the hard work and the sacrifice and the commitment that it takes. And a lot of us start playing this game when we're kids because it's a game that our parents introduce us to or our friends or whatnot, and we fall in love with the game aspect and the competition. And then, you know, it becomes a, a part of the reason why we get to go to college. And then it becomes part of our job. And... You know, it takes you through all these different waves of life and emotions, but at the end of the day, it's the sacrifice that you put into it to become good enough to make money doing it. And then I was never nearly the player that Dak Prescott was. But when you see in that moment, you know, this is not just a one-year thing, or, or this is when since Dak Prescott's been a kid. You see, it takes me back to, 
you know, him being a, a child and working out with his family, or it takes me back to him being a high school kid and on his grind and, and then a college kid and then being a fourth-round pick and trying to prove himself. It just take, took me to all those moments. And you're like, man, it, that, that, it, it just, it's really difficult to say, gosh, could all that get taken away because of that one play, that one moment. And, you know, when you hear the, the type of person he is, and then understand what he's been through off the field and some of the pain that he's felt, but has still become like this this incredible leader. You know, I've been critical of his play. That's part of my job. But in that moment, it just it makes you just feel for him as a human being in a much greater sense than it does, oh, this quarterback that might not get the money that uh, people thought he should get. It just made me feel for him as a as a person emotionally. I think we all felt some semblance of that, but I could sense it and you sitting next to me this morning. All right, so then let's let's move forward from it. Um, today, the Dallas Cowboys wake up and they still have a season. And oh, by the way, they're in first place in a bad division and they have a quarterback who's won a lot of football games in Andy Dalton. How good can the Cowboys still be this year? I still think they're a below average football team, you know, probably leaning on a poor football team. You know, they, they beat the Giants just today who hadn't scored in three weeks, and they scored 30 points on them. You know, we all know that they need a miracle to beat the Falcons who just fired their coach. And so, you know, I, I had come to this point with the Cowboys. Dak Prescott was going to have to play great football, and he had the pressure of almost playing perfect for them to win games. And he was trending toward that. He was playing really, really good football. So I don't see Andy Dalton playing better than Dak Prescott. I don't see Andy Dalton covering up the things that Dak Prescott was doing, especially on that offensive line. And so the injuries to the offensive line and how bad that defense is, I think this is a team that's going to struggle to get to, I don't know, six, seven wins. I just don't see how they can sit there and say, we're going to be a better football. Yes, they might run the ball more, and that'll help their defense play better. But that'll also minimize the explosiveness on offense. And so I think that this team's got a very unfair reality, I guess, this season of like, what they thought they were going to be got ripped out from underneath them with that injury. Yeah, I mean, even as it was, as you just pointed out, the two teams they've beaten this year are a combined 0-10, and one of them just fired their coach yesterday. That's where the Cowboys are. Dan Orlovsky is with me on ESPN Radio. Uh, The Colts and the Browns was a really interesting game yesterday that we didn't get to spend a lot of time on because of the huge storylines between Dak and the Lakers and everything else. But but I wanted to get a quick thought on both of those. Baker Mayfield, look, they've won four straight games, and this is a team that has a lot of really good pieces. And you said on TV this morning that you think Miles Garrett uh, should be in conversation with you on all of that. But where is Baker right now? And ultimately, how far can he lead this team? Yeah, Baker's playing good. They have not won four in a row because of Baker. They've won four in a row because Kevin Stefanski's been great. They've run four in a row because their offensive line has been great and their run game's been dominant. They've gotten leads and their defense has played good enough and then they finished off the game with their run game. Um, For them to become, you know, I thought they would go to the playoffs this year and I still think they will, but for them to become a a true noisemaker this season and get to the playoffs and and do something with it, Baker's got to be better in the fourth quarter. You know, they've asked Baker the past two weeks, Greeny, to kind of end the game in the fourth quarter with the pass game, and he hasn't been able to do it. He's missed throws. There's guys that have been open, and he's missed throws. And so he's gotten better. There's no question, and he's, 
had moments he looks really, really good, but at some point that's going to show itself. And until Baker does it this season, that's my reservation for the Browns. Um, I think Miles Garrett's been great, um, but they're, but Baker's going to have to show them he's the difference maker in the fourth quarter. In regards to the Colts, Greeny, listen, they're a really, really, really good football team that's being held back by Phillip Rivers. I know who I am, and I know what I'm saying about a Hall of Famer. I get all that. But he's, being, he's holding them back. The way they're built, play great defense. They got a great defense. Play great defense, run the football well, and be efficient as a quarterback. Don't hurt the football team. Value the ball. And he's not doing that. He's got a gunslinger's mentality. He's being reckless with the football. And it's cost them their two losses. And I think Frank Reich and Chris Ballard got to sit, sit there and go, how much longer can we kind of play with fire? You know, how much longer can we sit there and go, we can deal with this until we go, Jacoby Brissett right now is the better option. I'm with that. I thought Jacoby Brissett was the better option, and I said so. I'm allowed to tell you when I was right because I'm you. I'm almost always wrong, and I'm the first to tell you I'm almost always wrong. But this was one that I first guessed. I never understood them signing Rivers, who's a player who has looked finished for two years. And so my question to you as we approach the middle of October is, is Brissett the answer in Indy? Or should they be looking into something else before the trade deadline? Because that might be a championship football team around the quarterback. Yeah, I think Jacoby Brissett's probably a pretty good answer. You know, like, who else could it be? And, you know, what's it going to cost you is obviously always a conversation. You know, do you call the Jets and offer them something for Sam Darnold? Who knows? Dwayne Haskins, other Redskins. I'd rather have Jacoby Brissett right now. Um, And so I I don't think that there's anybody that I'm rushing out there. Nick Mullins, I'd rather have Jacoby Brissett. And so I think Jacoby Brissett's one of those players that, no, he's not going to make you incredibly explosive on offense. And there are limitations to his game that he would bring to your offense. But I know he's a player that values the ball. He showed me last year, through seven games last year, he had three interceptions. And they were a good football team. And so, you know, if there is a, uh, if there is a decision to be made, the, the number one option should be Jacoby Brissett. I'm with you. Before he got hurt last year, he was playing great. Dan Orlovsky with Marcus and Laura and Mina and company for Eastern today and every day on ESPN for NFL Live. Thank you, Dan. I'll see you soon. Thanks for you. You're the best, bud. All right. That's my buddy, Dan Orlovsky, on the Shell Pennzoil Performance Line. Pennzoil synthetic motor oils are made from natural gas. Gives you unbeatable engine protection. The proof is in the Pennzoil. Based on sequence 4A wear test using SAE 5W30. I think that the Colts are a championship. I will say this, that if the Colts somehow get, it wouldn't be this year. But there is all this talk about the Jets moving on from Sam Darnold, which I'm totally against. But I've given up on anything good happening to them. If Sam Darnold ever wound up on the Colts, I think that they would be, he would be, and they would be unbelievable. Unbelievable. In two years, they'd be championship caliber. Or in the first year, whatever the first year they had him, they'd be competing for a championship. Coming up next, there was one line in one movie that fully explains what is happening in the NFL right now and why the big story in the sport is not going to turn out as easily as you think it is. Greeny, the podcast. Now, let's talk about the play of the week. The pressure to follow up Hypnotic and Cognac, weighing heavy on the team. Hypnotic was in the cup, blue and ready for the play. And boom! Añejo Tequila came in with a smooth assist to Hypnotic's tropical fruit finish. Shaken, strained, poured. It was green and good! 
dived. The playmaking splash shifted the tempo. Another great cocktail from the hypnotic team. Every season is hypnotic and tequila season. Hypnotic liqueur, Bardstown, Kentucky, 17% alcohol by volume. Hypnotic reminds you to think wisely, drink wisely. This podcast is proud to be supported by Jets Pizza, the number one pick in Detroit-style pizza. Why? It's simple. Jets is better. With the thickest, crispiest, cheesiest Detroit-style pizza in the country, there's no competition. Right now, get $5 off any eight-corner pizza with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Go to jetspizza.com to learn more and find a location near you. Again, try Jets' signature eight-corner pizza and get $5 off with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Jets Pizza. Better because it has to be. We will get to all of the Lakers conversation uh, again in just a few minutes talking about. We already had our conversation this morning already about what this means for LeBron and what it means in the big picture for the NBA. And is it the beginning of a dynasty and everything else in the middle of this crazy busy time? But right now it is time for some straight talk brought to you by Straight Talk Wireless. And the straight talk is this with regards to the other of our two wall-to-wall caliber stories yesterday. And that is the injury to Dak Prescott. If you think because of all the goodwill and because of all his good play and because of whatever external pressure there may exist on Jerry Jones, that Dak is now just going to sort of easily transition into getting the long-term contract extension that he hasn't gotten so far, then you haven't been covering or paying attention to pro football. That's not the way it works. The way it works in pro football was beautifully and eloquently summed up in a great old movie, I believe it was from the 70s. I remember this movie when I was a kid. might even be older than that. But Nick Nolte was the star of a great football movie called North Dallas 40. And you don't have to have seen the movie to understand why this line resonates to this day. Let's hit it. Every time I called a game, you called a business. And every time I called a business, you called a game. 1979 is when that movie was made. And those words ring equally true. 41 years later, Dak Prescott got hurt playing a game. But what's going to happen next is going to be business. It's just that simple. And the Dallas Cowboys weren't just giving Dak anything he wanted when he was extraordinarily durable and effective and great. And so if you think that Jerry Jones, because he feels bad for Dak lying there on the ground with his foot facing in the wrong direction and the tears in his eyes and the crowd chanting his name, that Jerry is just suddenly going to write a check now that he wasn't willing to write last time? I'd love you to be right. I'm all in favor of it. I love Dak. Spent a little time around him. He's exactly what you think he is. Hardworking, serious-minded, done absolutely everything right. Team first, always. Terrific player. Everything you would ask a quarterback to be. But this thing wasn't easy when he was healthy. And now he's hurt. So if you think this is going to be easy, you and I see this very differently. Straight talk wireless, no contract, no compromise. Ryan Clark sees it the same way I see it. Here's what he said this morning on Get Up. 
Jerry Jones didn't even see fit to reward what he had already done at 100%. So now that he's a little bit of damaged goods, now that he isn't as perfect or pristine as he was before this season, do you think that Jerry Jones is going to break his back to sign Dak Prescott? If Dak Prescott comes in and say, you know what, I understand my positioning, I understand where I am, I'm willing to do this deal in the place that makes you comfortable, Jerry Jones, Stephen Jones, then he's back. If he is not willing to do that, I can see the Dallas Cowboys having another quarterback next year. That would not surprise me at all. So I will meet Ryan about halfway to that, but not all the way. I believe Dak will be back because I think that franchise tagging him again seems the likelier scenario than just letting him go. If you're just joining me here, about 40 minutes ago, I had Dr. Michael Kaplan on who told us that he would expect Dak to make a full recovery that his long-term prognosis should be unaffected by this injury. As we've learned in sports, sometimes the most gruesome looking injuries aren't the most serious ones and that Dak should be healthy enough to participate, assuming next year is a regular year and who knows what in the world is going to be going on by the time we get to minicamp season, the, the time of year where minicamps are usually held. But certainly by training camp, Dak Prescott should be, 100% ready to go. And if we have training camp next year, he'll be out there playing. He'll be the starting quarterback of the Cowboys. They can tag him again. But I also agree with Ryan that unless Dak is willing to capitulate and move his number or his demands to a place that the Cowboys want them to be, then I don't think a long-term deal gets done. Dak was willing to bet on himself before the catastrophic injury. But if he had signed the contract that was on the table, he would have had $111 million guaranteed in the case of injury like this. That's got to be a very tough realization to have. And I certainly hate when you consider the humanity of what's going on in that moment. And any of us who've been following some of the sports conversation are also aware of some of the personal tragedy that Dak Prescott has lived through over the course of the last few months. So I hate conflating the injury and the devastation connected to that emotionally and psychologically with the contract, but it's impossible not to. The reality is the contract has been a huge part of the conversation. And Dak Prescott is one of many people who have bet on himself and I think ultimately was right to do so and will win. But this was a difficult setback. Straight talk, wireless, no contract, no compromise. Much more on the Dak Prescott injury. Much more around the NFL and much more reaction to LeBron and the Lakers winning. Your hot takes are coming up next. My number is 888-SAY-ESPN. Give me a call. I want the hottest take you've got from the NFL yesterday. Next on ESPN Radio. Thanks for listening to Greeny, the podcast. You can get more from Greeny live weekdays at noon Eastern on ESPN Radio and on ESPN News. And don't miss Greeny on Get Up every morning at 8 Eastern on ESPN. Greeny, the podcast.